Welcome to the February 17th edition of Global Nashville with Carl Dean. I'm Patrick Ryan, President of the Tennessee World Affairs Council. Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, the international uh, scene in, in Nashville with uh, John Scanapieco. John is a partner at Womble Bond Dickinson US LLP. Uh, he's also a member of the Tennessee World Affairs Council uh, Board of Directors, and he has extensive experience uh, in Nashville developing business relationships uh, internationally, especially in uh, East Asia and uh, with uh, European partners. He's the Honorary Consul General for the United Kingdom in Tennessee and has uh, welcomed uh, ambassadors, consuls general, uh, business delegations, and others to Nashville. So we're anxious to talk to John about his uh, assessment of what's uh, happening in the world of international commerce as it affects Tennessee and the things that make uh, Nashville a global city. So uh, John, welcome, and I'll uh, turn it over to uh, Mayor Carl Dean. Thanks, Thank Pat. John, welcome to the to the broadcast. Um, it's good to have you back. Thank you, Mayor. Um, so I guess I wanted to start off with uh, just asking about your interest in foreign trade and foreign business. Um, where does that come from? How did you get involved in it? Sure. So my father was a uh, serial entrepreneur. And when I was 14, we were living in Massachusetts and he decided he was going to go start a new company down in Texas. So he moved us from uh, uh, Cape Cod down to San Antonio, Texas. And there's a little company uh, called Santa Fresh, that was liquid soap. Uh, they were like the first to gel alcohol. And he took that little company and uh, took it into like 42 countries by the time they sold it. And as a kid, uh, my father being a first generation Italian born in the United States, he wouldn't take his distributors or his customers out to a restaurant to talk to them. He'd bring them to our house. And so as a, as a teenager, I saw people from literally all corners of the globe coming through our house and listening to them talk about their lives in whatever country they were from and the businesses they would do and how they would do business. And it was just really, for me, it was really interesting. Um, I didn't really think there was much opportunity for me to ever do that. Um, I thought you had to go to law school at like Harvard or Georgetown or someplace like that. Um, and then when I arrived here in Nashville, um, within a short period of time, my arrival, I realized that there was all of this cross-border business going on in the community and nobody was really serving that community. And so that's how I kind of got into it as a lawyer perspective. But really, most of my interest really came through my father and just watching him do business with like I said, people from all over the world. It's just fascinating to me. So when you went to law school, did you um, focus on what, commercial transactions or just? Well, you know, back when I was in law school, you know, you know, there were some law schools that say focused on environmental issues or these kinds of issues. But I went to a Southern Methodist University down in, um, in Dallas. And they had an LLM program that focused on international issues. And so there were some of those classes um, that were available to us as, you know, just regular law students, but it wasn't really a focus. So you just kind of went and got your law degree and then you went out into the world, uh, you know, to, to, to practice law. And my real exposure to cross-border work really did not come until I arrived here in Nashville. Uh, and I'd been practicing law for maybe five or six years at that time. All right. And did, in terms of your undergraduate work, I mean, did you have a desire to study foreign languages or um, foreign yes. culture? Yes. 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 So like my, for example, my, again, my, my mother also was first generation Italian born here in the United States. 
And so we were not allowed to learn Italian um, because we had to be American and you spoke English to be American. But I really wanted to learn because I, my grandparents and my father, they were all, you know, all talking, you know, in Italian all the time. And so I took Italian when I was in um, college. I will have to tell you that my, uh, my ability to learn a foreign language, apparently I didn't get that gene. It was very hard. Uh, and my Italian was at best uh, passable. Um, but, uh, um, but yeah, so I did that. And then um, like with the, um, the, the history and, uh, you know, the classes around government and politics, uh, any in economics, I always tried to learn, you know, or get exposed to these types of issues, you know, in those different fields. Because again, I, I think the, the world is a fascinating place and, um, and just learning a little bit about different cultures. And then of course, I had friends from different backgrounds and cultures and that, that was also, um, you know, very helpful as well. Right, so when you arrive in Nashville, you join a, a law firm that is a general practice or did everything pretty much? Yes, yes, yeah. And I, and I joined as a litigator. So because everyone said I'm Italian, I talk a lot, so I should be a litigator. And so that's, and so that's what I did. And then I, I was probably, I just made partner. This was at uh, Bolt Cummings, which is now Bradley. Um, and I, and I, I got to attend a board meeting and they were talking about some global legal network that we belong to. And they were trying to get a handle on whether this is really worth it. And I said, well, you know, I'll go and check it out and, and, and see what we can find out. And so they actually sent me, and my goal was to really focus on the domestic firms, you know, in the United States. And I just so happened to meet all of these different lawyers from firms around the world. And then in talking to them, they had all of this work they were sending into the United States. And I thought, well, you know, we can do that. You don't have to be a lawyer in New York to do this, you know, their commercial contracts, uh, assisting on uh, mergers and acquisitions you know, employment issues. I mean, things that really a lawyer here in Nashville could do as well. And so I started doing that work for these non-U.S. law firms. And after doing that for a couple of years, I said, well, you know, if I'm doing that for them, why can't they do that for me? And I just started at that time uh, when I talked to companies and you learn a little bit about what they're doing and they would have a global issue. I said, well, you know, we can help you with that. And again, there was nobody really in town that I was aware of that was focusing on uh, any kind of cross-border issues. And so the practice just kind of took off from there. At Bradley, ended up having about five of us in a little group. And then uh, eventually that it wasn't really something, I mean, they were fine with it, but it wasn't something they really wanted to you know, invest in. And uh, another law firm in town, Baker Donaldson, had asked me for a couple of years to, um, uh, to, to set up their global practice. And so I went over there and, and that's what I did. I set up a global practice and um, we ended up having, um, you know, at, at, before we just recently left, a bunch of us just left. We had probably about 15 of us. That's all we did all day long. And uh, it, was, it was a really good opportunity. And now we're doing it at, at um, you know, Wombobon Dickinson. They have more of a global platform for us. How do you go about doing a global practice? I mean, you just announced to the world this, I'm doing a global practice and. Well, don't laugh, but yes, because again, there was nobody here that could mentor me, right? But if you think about it, I mean, if you really think about what a cross-border practice is, you know, there's no, I always joke, there's really no such thing as international law unless we're focused on treaties or something like that. You know, most of the time, like a business deal, for example, is going to be governed by the law 
of some country, Germany, or it's going to be governed by the law of some state here in the United States. Um, and so, you know, it, 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 you just kind of do it and you start to learn. And then I leaned on all of these different people that I would meet around the world to say, you know, I've got this commercial contract that I like. These are kinds of the issues our client wants to achieve within this contract. I've revised it to reflect that. Now, can you please look at it and make sure and lo help me localize it so it would fit, say, for example, the business practices, culture, and law of whatever particular country or province that we were going to, say, from China or, you know, something like that. And then I would try to stay as close to it as I could so I would learn. So the next time I, I knew a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And eventually now I've literally worked all over the world. You know, I'm never going to tell you I'm an expert in, uh, you know, German uh, water rights or anything, but I probably know enough to be dangerous, but at least I know enough, hey, that's an issue and let's go get that looked at. And now we have the resources in terms of people that we know uh, in the government and law, accounting, banking, literally all over the world. So if a business has issues or is trying to buy something, sell something, you know, now we can really help. And one of the things that I think has been very helpful to me was the fact that all of these folks that I've gotten to know over the last now 25 plus years, they've really helped me understand the culture. Um, because, you know, we, I think too often we wear our American lenses and we view everything through that American lens. But when you negotiate, say, a contract, um, uh, I'm just going to use Germany as an example, but Germans um, communicate differently. They negotiate differently um, than, than we do. Not right, not wrong. It's just different. And I think that's really what's been the most helpful thing for me today, even if I'm not doing the law, but is when I see something or I hear something, I try now to view it maybe from the perspective of a person in that country and how maybe they perceive it and what that means to them because I think it helps me understand maybe from the United States, maybe what we should be doing, how we should be reacting. And of course that really translates, I think very well in helping a, a, a client negotiate a business deal or help them maybe resolve a dispute, you know, having that, that understanding. Okay. And really um, probably an essential aspect of this is your ability to do this type of practice here in Nashville is dependent upon the city uh, being a center for business that goes beyond national borders. And so as the city has grown um, and uh, I guess the diversity of the business has grown here, it's probably been a, a good thing for you in terms of your own practice. Oh, I mean, yes, definitely. I, you know, I moved here for the first time in the summer of 1989, did my clerkship, and then I came back in, in 1990. And, you know, when I first got here, they thought, uh, maybe just like you, when you first arrived, you know, coming from New England, they thought we were foreigners, right? Yeah. And, of course, when you see my last name, you're even more certain of that fact. And, you know, my wife uh, is a native. And so I was the oddity then, and now she is the oddity now, being a native. As all of these people have come into town from literally all over the world, you know, one of my former German colleagues, we were, we were having lunch one day and he was just joking. We were talking about this very issue. And he said, yes, because, you know, I have to be careful now. I used to talk to my wife all the time in German as we were walking down the street and we would maybe, you know, get a little catty about this or that. He said, I can't do it anymore because I hear so much German on the street. You know what I mean? So it's just, you're really starting to see now this inflow of people from not only the United States, but also from around the world, because this is a great place, you know, uh, uh, you know, 
to be. My, when I first got here, my goal was to be here for a couple of years and then really go back to Boston where a lot of my friends were. But now, I mean, this is my home. This is going to be my 32nd year being here. And the city, every single year I, 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 since I've arrived, it just seems like it's getting better and better and better. And more and more folks coming from outside of the United States here. Uh, we hosted a dinner, oh man, must be 10, 12 years ago. And we had six different consuls general here for this dinner from different countries in Europe and other places. And I just remember sitting at that dinner thinking to myself, like, wow, when I first got here, I mean, I never could have imagined getting one consul general. And now we have, you know, so many. And I bet while you were mayor, I can't even imagine how many you probably visited with who are now interested in this region um, because of the opportunities that are presented not only for companies here to go there, but also from their companies to come here. Um, so I think it's been a really good, uh, you know, good opportunity. And for what we do, it's great because, I mean, this is, this is what I love to do. It's, it's business either going out of the United States or then coming in. And so you now serve as honorary counsel for the United Kingdom? And yes, yes. What, what is that? How did you get that position? And uh, sure, what do you sure. do? Yes, and uh, you know, so again, for what I do, I believe that if we work together, um, you know, government, private business, working together, because we all have limited resources, we can do so much more. And so, any chance I had, I, I, re I would reach out to um, the uh, the consuls general, and usually they're in Atlanta for our region. Um, I would reach out and just say, hey, you know, what can we do to help you? Um, maybe get to know our community better. And so I would work with the Israelis. I actually set up a cybersecurity conference in George, in Atlanta for that. Um, we've worked with the uh, Canadians, the Brits, the, I mean, uh, uh, Mexico. I mean, it goes on and on. Again, just trying to get them to see our community, I think like like I do, and like I think all of us on this, 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 this webcast do, it's a really great place to do business. And just by doing that, um, I got a call from the Consul General, I guess it would be two ago uh, for the UK, asking me to go to lunch. We went to lunch. We used to do that every once in a while just to catch up. And he then said they were reconfiguring their, the role of the honorary consul. It used to be a lot of uh, consular services, like lost passports and you know things like that. He said, really want to focus more on trade and investment. And with my background, they thought I'd be a perfect fit. And then, so I asked him, I said, well, you know, you realize I'm Italian, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm definitely not British. <laughs> And, uh, and he laughed and said, oh, you don't have to do that. Um, and so that, that's how, that's, but that's literally how I got the job. It was just, I think that we were always willing to try to help and try to bridge, you know, bridge our community with these other communities abroad. And I, and I think they saw that as a, as a resource um, to maybe help, in this case, strengthen the ties for Tennessee and the UK, um, because they, they could see coming down the pike um, at that point, it was pre-Brexit, but maybe a, a free trade agreement between the EU and the U.S., and now, of course, we're working on the uh, U.K.-U.S. free trade agreement, and these relationships are so much more important. Yeah, and how much of your time does that take? Is it a real heavy commitment in time? No, I mean, you know, it just depends. So, for example, recently we had in town uh, the Minister of State for Trade Policy um, coming from the UK. We also had a visit um, by the new uh, North, the Trade Commissioner for North America from the UK. So they came, the Consul General came up, and you know, putting that those meetings together 
and the different uh, programs we're going to do, you know, that takes a lot of time. Um, but usually it's me fielding calls from UK businesses, UK citizens, US businesses or US citizens looking to do something. A lot of times it can be, I lost my passport, I need to get a visa, how do I do it? Around COVID, it was helping uh, British uh, citizens find resources that they could use to then get home. Because remember now the borders were all starting to close. Um, if there is a natural disaster here, then I will call around to see if I can identify any UK citizens who may have been injured or, or worse uh, or who need some other assistance and I'll help there. Um, but most of it is just doing things like this and talking about you know, the benefits of global trade, of global investment, and why maybe you should consider it or why you should look at it maybe a little differently if you think it's something that maybe is not good. And then I just try to strengthen those relationships, make introductions. So it's working with the National Chamber. It's working with the Tennessee World Affairs Council, um, really all the other groups in town, again, just trying to promote those, you know, developing those relationships. So it, it's as much as I want to put into it, I think. But there are some days I get more phone calls than others. But <laughs> In terms of your own practice, and I guess what you've observed is it's on our council. Have you, has Brexit had a big impact on foreign invest, uh, I guess, English investment in the U.S.? Has it had a, a big uh, impact on trade? Yes, it has, because, you know, again, if you think about it, if, if the U.K. is part of the EU, right, then the EU is making decisions regarding um you know, who are we going to trade with? And how are we going to trade? All those relationships. And what are they going to emphasize in terms of, you know, the EU as a whole? So now that the UK has, has left the, the EU, they are now able to um, de determine what their own priorities are going to be. And one of their priorities, probably one of the more significant priorities, is strengthening the US-UK relationship. I mean, we've been friends for you know, hundreds of years. It's been a very important relationship. It's one of our largest trading partners, but we can do a whole lot more. And now this has allowed um, the British government to really focus. And that's actually going to be a priority for uh, 2022 is to really focus on, um, you know, the states and developing those relationships. And because of Tennessee's, if you think about it, geographic location in Nashville and all that's happening here, this has become a focal point for the UK in really strengthening those relationships. Having that direct flight from Nashville to the UK is all very important as well. So, so Brexit actually has freed up the, the UK government now to focus on what it determines to be maybe more of a priority than, say, that was for the EU. And so I think that is really, at the end of the day, going to be much more of a benefit to us because they really see you know, Nashville as kind of the new capital of the New South. Right. And, and there's so much happening here from technology, EV batteries, um, you know, the financial services sector, all growing here. Um, I, I was surprised we actually hosted a, um, a uh, virtual trade mission between London and Nashville. I mean, who would have thought that 20 years ago, right, that you would actually get groups to attend and it was all around financial, you know, fintech because Nashville now has this growing fintech community. So I, I think it's going to be very beneficial for the city and for the region. Right. And you mentioned in terms of uh, the trade with uh, the UK, um, the importance of the London Nashville flight um, that runs now from, uh, from our airport. 
how important is the airport to the growth of uh, trade and Nashville being part of that? Yeah, I mean, you think about it. If you can't, you know, there's that old song, you can't get there from here. You know, if you can't get there, then no one's going to come because, you know, at the end of the day, it has to be accessible, uh, both from a cargo perspective and also, say, just from, you know, the business community traveling. Tourism is also a big business. So if we can't get there, then I just don't think you would see the growth. I mean, look at Atlanta. Atlanta was smaller than Nashville. I think it's pre-World War II. They decided to put in their airport. And, you know, I'll say the rest is history um, because they had, it was easy to get to. You could get there. Um, and I think as our airport grows and we want this community to grow, then our airport's going to have to grow with it. And hopefully we'll get more direct flights to other parts of the world um, so that people will say, well, you know, that's, that's convenient for me. I want to go there and do business because, you know, Nashville itself and even Tennessee has so much to offer um, the, you know, global business with our access to both UPS and FedEx. Um, you know, what Memphis has, uh, was it five of the six class A rail lines in the country? Nashville is intersected by three interstate highways. Uh, you know, this is, we have a lot to offer. We have access to the Mississippi River. We get you down to the Gulf. You can go up north into Canada. So this is a great place. But if you can't get here, then you're right. going to go someplace else. So I think, I think the growth of the airport is really important. Now, in terms of uh, Council General offices, we have, of course, our first one is Japan, uh, who have been here, I think, since 08. Um, and it has been successful. Um, do you see Nashville attracting more full-blown council offices or? You know, I, I had heard floating around um, that potentially uh, Mexico was considering uh, a consulate here um, just to service the growing, uh, you know, community from Mexico that's in this, in this region. I, you know, I don't know if that was just someone, uh, you know, you know, a little pie in the sky, or if that, you know, there's some truth to that. I think it would be great. Um, and hopefully we'll be, you know, if we can do that, then maybe we can attract some more. Uh, you know, it, I think it's really helpful if you have the consulate in your community um, because you can service, you know, your national so much better. They're more aware of what's happening. And then I think it'd be more proactive in figuring out ways maybe that, that the local community that they're in which they're located and also their communities back home can, can get together more, both culturally and on a business side. So I, I, would, I would love it. Um, I have, uh, I jokingly, uh, with the consul general, always am trying to encourage them, you know, to uh, open up a consulate here. But, you know, Atlanta is what it is. Again, it goes back to that ease of access. They can get home and, you know, maybe we can get more direct flights that, you know, maybe that opens up more. Yeah, yeah. What, um during this period of time with uh, COVID and I guess the resulting supply uh, problems we're having around this country and I guess globally, how has that, how has that impacted uh, global trade for Nashville? Oh, I mean, if I could describe uh, global trade in one word, it'd be, you know, challenging in all caps and bold because it really, it really is. And I think it will be for the foreseeable future. Obviously, we still have a lot of um, COVID impact, right? We, we're short on a lot of goods. There's been a lot of money flushed into our system that now, you know, people are using that to buy all sorts of things. They, they're working from home or they're in a hybrid relationship, uh, I mean, a 
sorry, a hybrid working situation. And so again, that increased demand. Um, so that is really causing, I think, some headaches there. Um, obviously, we have the chip shortage, which now impacts so many different products that people use from cars to other electronics that are also very helpful in a hybrid or a remote work, you know, work experience. So I think what you're seeing now, we also have the backlog at U.S. ports. Um, and, you know, that could be significant. Um, you know, in the West Coast, uh, they're uh, doing a labor negotiation. So if there's no major disruptions, Maybe that will ease over time, but that could be a problem. Uh, you know, even ports uh, on the East Coast are having some of those problems. But I think what that should, over time, now that, you know, the stimulus is over, that should, I think, work itself out as manufacturing. More and more people are going back to work in manufacturing. But the issues now you have, for example, Russia, Ukraine, um, that could put some real strains on the U.S. other and Europe and other parts of the world that could then impact global trade. You know, what is China going to do vis-a-vis -vis Taiwan? Um, will, would they use, for example, let's say there is some issues with Ukraine and Russia. Um, does China use that now as a, as, as a, as a, uh, I guess, a distraction to, to do more with Taiwan, which then could further disrupt trade, especially if you look at ship, shipping density maps in the South China Sea. I mean, they're almost, it's almost black. The, you know, there's so much that goes back and forth. So, I mean, these are going to be difficult times, I think. Um, uh, and hopefully, as COVID, as this uh, Omicron strain kind of lessens around the world, you know, hopefully that will be it. Um, but, you know, you never know. Another strain could come along and, you know, the next, you know, China's zero COVID policy, for example. You know, you're fine one day and the next thing you know, they've locked down a whole port can't get anything in or out, or they've locked down entire cities and you can't make anything or get anything from the manufacturers to the ports. So all of these things, are just, it's really uncertain. Um, I think now what we're seeing is companies are really trying to examine their supply chains. It's really trying to figure out, okay, where does my stuff come from that I need? And are there ways that I can um, build in resiliency and, and um, you know, contingency plans so if we do have some of these, uh, say, disrupting events, I can still find the key products I need. Because as you know, if you need 90, 100, pro, 100 components to make your product, and you've got 99 of them, but you're missing that one, you're, you're, you're shut down. Um, and so trying to figure all that out, I think, is really the challenge right now. That's where we're seeing most of our calls are all around, hey, help me figure out my supply chain. Um, and help me understand what my contracts look like, what do they need to look like going forward. So we're seeing a lot of that, but I think it's going to be challenging, you know, uh, at least through probably into the third, fourth quarter this year. Uh, and again, unless we have another major disruptor event like, you know, Russia and Ukraine or, or another COVID strain. Right. Is, is investment, foreign investment in Nashville and Tennessee, is it continuing to go up during this time period or is it pulling back at all because of COVID? Yeah, I mean, well, uh, the answer to that is yes and yes, and I'll explain. So I think generally or overall, foreign direct investment is up. I know from talking recently with folks at the state and also at the National Chamber, they've got, you know, lots of projects um, in, in, in the works. And, and there's a host of reasons for that. Anything from the politics to just, again, as we talked about, you know, if you look at it with UPS two hours up the road and FedEx three hours to the e, uh, west, 
you know, you can sell later into the day and that just extrapolates into real cash over time and, and other reasons. So that's, that's up. At the same time, though, China is way down. And, you know, our governor has announced that he will not offer any discretionary incentives to any Chinese investment, even to existing um, companies who have, who have invested here in the state. Um, I've had some experience with companies from both uh, China and uh, another part of, of the world say, yeah, that's not on my list anymore. So we may see long term, I don't know, uh, some real impact. Uh, I, I was speaking with a government official from a European country, and he said this in, in, in jokingly, but it, it, the point was made. He said, how do you feel about Tennessee becoming the new Saudi Arabia? And at first, I was like, what, what are you talking about? And then he explained, and I said, oh, come on, that's an exaggeration. He said, yes, I know. But, you know, the, these policies now are becoming known around the world, you know, and, and I think that could have some real problems down the road. So, for example, well, one of the things— When you say the new Saudi Arabia, I mean, is that a reference to Saudis not allowing um, or, or aiding investment in, in Saudi Arabia? Well, it, no, it's, uh, it has to do with more of a religious litmus test to everything oh, coming at the right. state level, it seems like. Um, and then you have, you know, one of the things that has really made this, this state uh, a popular destination for companies is the fact that folks are just moving here. Not, you know, it used to be like when I, you know, I, my, my folks or, or, or even my generation, you didn't move to a city unless you got a job in that city, right? You got the job, then you moved. Now people are coming here because they really like it here. It's a great place to live. But if those young people find, you know, that's just not for me because of some of these issues that are going on politically in the state, that could then also serve as a detriment to companies also located right. here. Because if the people aren't here, I'm not going to come. I mean, I'm going to go where the people are. I need to fill my, my, my workforce. So, you know, I'm not trying, I'm not telling you my politics and any of this. I'm just telling you what I've been told, what people right. have commented on. And, and, and that, that concerns me because, you know, this is my business too. And we all want to see right. the community continue to grow. So well, it's I mean, that, that issue could be on both the national and international level that businesses yeah. are going to move where people want to work and live and talent goes. And if there's a sort of a, a negative perception about the social environment, then that's going to yeah. hurt. Now, um, yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And both, both internationally and nationally. Um, yes. And so in no, terms yes. of, um, you hear the phrase all the time, direct foreign investment, like this is something we all want. I mean, <clears throat> what, is, what is meant by that phrase and, and, and do we all want that? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's, so for example, I'm a company in uh, France and I want to set up some kind of operation here in the United States. So, you know, well, I want to do business in the United States. There's lots of ways you can do it. You can retain agents or distributors. You can sell online. You can buy a uh, an existing company, or you can set up like your own, you know, your own company from I'll say scratch. And so, uh, you know, I look at foreign direct investment as that, um, as you know, I'm going to come and I'm going to set up a, a distribution center. I'm going to set up a sales center. I'm going to set up manufacturing here. Either when I say greenfield, meaning, you know. Literally, there's a pasture out there. I'm going to buy some land and I'm going to build something or a brownfield investment where there's an existing, you know, place, it's empty, and I'm going to come in and, you know, fix it up to make it mine. Um, that's what we're talking about. And for me, that's my definition. 
And I believe you want that because, again, yes, that's a French company, but that French company now is going to invest $10 million, $100 million, a billion dollars in our community, right, Which and, 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 and employ 50 people or 1,000 people, um, and they're going to get paid, and those people are going to spend money in the community. They're going to pay taxes in the community, which then helps as the former mayor. You know, those tax dollars then can be used to improve um, education. They can be invested in affordable housing, transportation, you know, all things that cities need in order to continue to grow. Again, if you're not growing, I think you're dying. And so I think it's really important uh, to attract that foreign investment. First of all, I don't think it's enough capital in the U.S. to just, you know, continue the U.S. economy to continue to grow on its own. We need that foreign investment into our country, plus bringing a diverse you know, a more diverse workforce into the community, I think only then helps our community by bringing these different perspectives I was talking about. You know, uh, when I was a kid, everyone lived about 60 miles around Providence, Rhode Island, because that's where my family was from. <laughs> you know what I mean? And nobody, you know, nobody went beyond that. Uh, when my father moved to Texas, you would have thought we moved literally to China. Um, they couldn't believe it. And, um, and so now, but having now all these different people coming in, I mean, until I was five, I probably know there were people in this world that weren't Italian, right? And so now having all these people, it's just been, it makes the city better. I mean, from food to music to just different uh, uh, perspectives on life and, 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 and everything, it just makes it better. So I think that really helps uh, our community. So to me, foreign direct investment is very positive, creates jobs in our community, tax dollars, tax revenue, um, and then I think just broadens the overall, um, uh, uh, you know, education of the community as to, you know, there's a great world out there and you should go try to experience it. Well, good way to put it. Um, Long-term, optimistic, bullish on Nashville? Oh, yeah. I mean, for, for all the things we just talked about, uh, you know, you'd be saying, like I said, I mean, where we, if you look at this community from the creative class that's here and how that you know, most of them were songwriters and musicians, but how that skill set is now translated into, you know, different technology, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, coding or, or other types of, you know, creative stuff within technology. You have, again, the access to FedEx and to UPS, which, again, allows for you to sell later in the day. So, you know, that's great. If you want to come here, you have all these universities, a skilled workforce, while, you um, uh, land is not as cheap as it used to be. You know, you can still find, you know, land that will support a, a business. Um, I think that's going to be one of our challenges, though, is affordability. Um, you know, if, if uh, people deem this to be too expensive of a place to live, then again, going back to a point we were talking about earlier, they don't come, they choose someplace else. And so we have to work on some of those issues because it's great that, you know, I think of some neighborhoods that when I first moved here, especially like you go to the station in, you park and literally run for the door. You know what I mean? And now look at the Gulch. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, my new office is in the Gulch. I never would have thought that. Um, and, but at the same time, people are now being pushed out uh, further away from the core. And so it makes them harder for them to get to their jobs uh, without suitable or appropriate public transportation. So we need to work on that. Affordable housing. You know, these are all, you know, a stronger safety net. I know that, you know, being, these are all things I know you were working on as, you know, as mayor, 
because it really there's that symbiotic relationship. You know, you need business to be strong, right? And that's why I think you'll see Nashville continue to grow. We have a lot of strong businesses coming here, but as they grow, what do they need? They need employees, and employees need access to healthcare. They need education. They need all these things. So hopefully, we'll be able to we'll be able to get those things to to marry up a little bit better. And I think if we can do that, then I feel like my kids and their kids will have a future here you know, in, in the city, because I think we've just now scratched the surface as to what Nashville really can, can be, um, at, you know, vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the United States and, and really the globe. Yeah, great. Great. Well, thank you for this conversation. I really enjoyed it. Um, Pat, do you have any questions you want to ask or any comments? Yeah, Mayor Dion, if I just uh, get a couple of questions in here. Uh, John, one thing, FinTech, tell us what that is and, and also uh, talk a little bit more about the importance, the impact of Japanese businesses in Tennessee. You talked sure. about uh, the new Consul General, uh, uh, Yuichi Matsumoto, is uh, here replacing um, uh, Consul General Fukushima. But, uh, you know, from end to end, Tennessee has uh, over 200 Japanese businesses. So they're the biggest FDI investment here. And, and just Touch a little bit on what that means to Tennessee. Sure. I remember it when I was, I'll give you like an analogy. So I remember in high school. And, and I apologize for, for missing in, in the introduction that you're a former chairman of the Japan America Society of Tennessee. So you have, have oh, additional yeah. insights. Right. Yep. So, I, you know, my analogy. So I remember chemistry class, you'd have a test tube of a solution in it, right? And you drop that one little thing in and the whole thing would crystallize. I believe the Japanese investment was really the catalyst for what we see today in terms of overall the global growth and the strength of our economy, you know, in this state. You know, when Nissan decided to put their, their, their plant here, um, you know, it just really changed the conversation around what Tennessee was. Uh, you know, growing up in New England, I have to be honest, like country music, that's all I knew. Um, and I didn't give it much, much thought. But as now time has gone on, the Japanese have really made a commitment to this state. And it's something that I think we should appreciate more um, because I think they really have done a, a lot of good for us here in, in the state. And they introduced some communities. This is probably the first person they've ever met from outside of you know, Tennessee or definitely outside of the United States. And again, opening their eyes to, hey, you know, this is pretty interesting, what, you know, who these people are and what they eat, and how they talk, and what they like. So I think that's been really good you know, for the state as a whole um, and also will continue to be, you know, for the foreseeable future. And so with respect to fintech, I, I guess I look at it as, you know, really any technology in the financial services community. So, for example, Alliance Bernstein you know, is somewhat of a fintech company. Uh, there's a new UK company that has arrived in the last year, a Smart Pension. They're basically a technology company. Um, they, you know, in the UK, you have a mandatory uh, participation in retirement plans. You know, here in the United States, that is something that we've been trying to get, right? So, you know, so people have a safety net when they retire. Uh, passage of a law, I want to say maybe it was in 17, 18. So small plans, you know, small companies will have to have these plans. They have a platform that will allow that to happen. And so, you know, something like that, Oracle uh, will also be, you know, will be providing uh, technology to be used in, in, in financial services. So I think you're starting to see now more and more companies. This used to be maybe at the most a, a health tech place, right? They CA right down the street. Um, and you're starting to see now a broadening of what is the technology that's in this community. So fintech, medtech, 
uh, any, I don't know what the, the term is for hospitality technology, but right around Ryman um, and, and, and all of that, but, you know, tour, around tourism and the technology that's used. Um, and uh, logistics tech is, is also something that's really growing. And if we go down to Memphis, ag tech is huge. I mean, it's a really big, if you remember, um, uh, Governor Lee talked about trying to create like the next Silicon Valley, but not in the sense of what Silicon Valley is, but focused on agricultural tech. Um, and so you have that as well. And I know uh, like Ted Townsend down in Memphis doing economic development, that's one of their areas of focus also around, you know, med device and that, that technology. So technology is becoming something, I think this community, you know, you never would have thought about it. You would just thought about music and, you know, HCA and some other big companies, but, you know, you're seeing now that uh, with Assurian here, Amazon's Logistics uh, Center of Excellence, uh, EY has an innovation center here. You know, technology is now finding Nashville to be a really good ecosystem for that, for it to grow. And, you know, you mentioned a number of these uh, companies, uh, Alliance Bernstein, uh, here we have Cat Financial International. These are international businesses that found their way to Nashville. And uh, you can probably, uh, you, you probably wouldn't be able to connect the dots with the Bridgestone headquarters downtown, but certainly that was one of the first uh, uh, footprints downtown. And, and now we have all these other companies. What what does that mean to the the energy and, and uh, the financial uh, power of, of Nashville to have all these companies move their headquarters and major operations here? Well, I mean, I think it's great. Typically, these headquarter companies, the jobs are um, much higher paying. Um, I, I don't know the I can't remember the numbers that I've seen on some of these uh, new these new companies that are coming. But you know the wages are significantly higher, um, and um, which I think is is great for the community as well. Um, also, again, they bring in uh, these uh, how do I say like the culture from their countries where they come from. They're bringing people from these places, you know, from their from their home countries into Nashville, which again goes to this whole thing about broadening people's horizons to say, wow, I look at my neighborhood, I've got people from Turkey, India, you know, uh, Japan, because um, we're kind of close to Nissan. I mean, my kids get to have gotten to grow up with folks from all over the world participating in, in these folks, you know, their cultural uh, events and, and, and religious holidays and whatever they have. And I think it's been great for them. So, so I think it's good for the community, but also it's like anything else, right? You see Assurian here, you see Bridgestone and Nissan and, and all these companies here. And, you know, you're a big company looking and you're saying, well, there, there must be a reason to go there. I'm going to go check it out. And when you get here, how can you not like this place? I mean, it's just a great place. Um, you know, you, 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 you're living in a big city, but not really. Uh, you know, I live in Franklin, and some days in the summer, I'll throw my fly fishing stuff in the back of my car, and I'll just stop, change right there at the little, you know, the harpist, and go in there and fly fish for a little bit, and I'll go home. You know what I mean? Kind of deal. Where can you do that? I mean, it's awesome. Or you get the Titans or the Predators or now the soccer, which is great, because that's opened up sport, I think, to a whole new community. Um, so that's been wonderful. So, I mean, you know, I think at the end of the day, you can't help but see those companies coming here and you say, I want to be part of that. Um, because clearly there's something happening there that is, is worth my time to at least check it out. And like I said, the folks here, whether it's the National Chamber, the state of Tennessee Economic Development, or down in Memphis, or up in Knoxville, wherever, Clarksville, 
they, all these folks do such a great job of selling this state and this region. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's just a wonderful place uh, to be. I was asked the other day, where would I live if I could go anywhere? And I'm like, you know, I really, I've been everywhere, I feel like, and I want to stay right here. Um, I, I love it here. This is a, this is a, I got so lucky to come here, like I said, 32 years ago. So I think it's a wonderful place. Well, thanks uh, for sharing your energy about uh, Nashville, uh, John. Uh, Mayor, Mayor Dean, any uh, any last comments? Oh, no, thank you, John, for everything. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, John. Again, uh, this is uh, Global Nashville with Carl Dean. Thanks for joining us today. We've been talking with John Scanapieco. Uh, he's uh, an attorney, a partner in uh, Womble. Uh, John, help me out here a second. Womble Bond Dickinson, LLP. Uh, U.S. LLP, Womble Bond Dickinson, beg your pardon. He's also a uh, former uh, chair of the Japan American Society, honorary consul of uh, the United Kingdom to Tennessee, and a member of the Tennessee World Affairs Council Board of Directors. Thanks, John, for your time. And let me also remind everyone to uh, check the youtube.com slash TNWAC uh, YouTube channel for all of these uh, global national broadcasts and much, much more. And we ask that uh, you consider becoming a member of the Tennessee World Affairs Council or making a contribution. You can visit tnwac.org. Uh, that's it for today. Thank you all for joining us and have a good day.